Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It's the Bill Bennett Show. Sometimes people prefer to hear Claude. Right, hi, Claude. <laughs> no, I don't. Th- I don't know if it's prefer, but uh, yeah, maybe enjoy. Do. But no, no, no. It's the Bill Bennett Show. Thoughtful conversations we have about the news of the day. Today is our monthly special Scholars and Sense edition of the show. That means joining me today is Conrad Black author, columnist, and media contributor, and Victor Davis Hanson, a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute, Mm -hmm. whose focus is classics and military history. But first, a few things Claude and I want to talk about. So what do we got, Claude? What's in the mail? Do we get letters, lots of letters, stacks and stacks of letters? Yes, we do have lots of, by the way, got a couple of emails about your reference to the, you know, letters. We've got letters, stacks and stacks of letters. Uh, you are jogging the memories of lots of uh, uh, the listeners on the show. Um, so a lot of feedback from the Byron York interview, um, and I will kind of sum up, a, um, you know, a few. We had our friend Sandy uh, email in and says, I'm a longtime fan and longtime listener to the programs. I'm also a reader of your excellent books. But on the other hand, when I tune into the podcast uh, with Byron York, um, and the question was asked, can Trump win the general? And the immediate answer from Mr. York was an emphatic no. You lost me at that point. Said, I've heard these arguments before. Don't want to hear them again. Also wanted to mention the abortion issue and uh, the sense of caution that you and some of the guests offer to Republicans that it's either killing of life or it's not. Um, you know, uh, if abortion is killing a baby, then it's an abomination and should be banned at all times in all places. Uh, we don't need to take a vote or consult a poll. Very best regards, Sandy. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a difficult issue for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really, I think the Supreme Court made the right decision in sending it back to the states, and I think it's a mistake for Republicans to say, let's get a federal ban. But what was the point of sending it back to the states? What was the good sense and rationale uh, of sending it back to the states if you immediately send it back to Washington. So let the states sort it out. Six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks, unlimited. That's what they're going to do. And um, we might think it's tragic that there'll be, you know, I don't know how many thousand abortions in California, but um, there will be. And uh, that's what it means to send it back to the states. I know of no other good resolution of this, the most difficult issue in American politics. Claude. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. We got another email from uh, Joe and Carrie in South Dakota, uh, also about the Byron York interview. Lots of again, lots of feedback. So we love your podcast. Uh, the one with Byron York was very good. And Byron's take on the 2024 election was good. His past Iowa GOP caucuses winner uh, outcomes has uh, was enlightening. Sadly, our nation continues to be invaded. And no one uh, in any position of national leadership gives a rip. Thank you for honestly identifying this. Hardly anyone else will keep up the great work of keeping us informed. Yeah, it's uh, what's happening at the border is atrocious, unforgivable, really one of the worst things to happen in American history. People are totally free to come across from from wherever and for whatever reason. Um, Our folks down there who work, who wear uniforms, Border Patrol, they're not given the tools. They're, they're not allowed to do what they've been trained to do. And they just really are traffic cops directing people where to go, and it's all into the country. I think our only hope is that uh, Democrats like uh, Adams in New York, mayor of New York City, get so angry at the people coming in that they put pressure on the White House. But, uh, I mean, I'm sure that's been brought informally already by Democrats, but, you know, to very little effect. 
Yeah, well, don't forget, um, you know, Governor Abbott received so much criticism when he first started sending uh some of these uh, illegal border crossers to cities like D.C. and to New York. Uh, and so I had a lot of criticism with that, only to have certain Democrats in big cities, you know, um, uh, now, like, uh, you know, Mayor uh, Adams in New York, to start to get frustrated. And so, you know, what, what was it like what, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago when he started doing this? And he said so much criticism. Why is he doing this? It's inhumane. Well, he's trying to prove a point. And I think that it's obvious that his point is now being proven, and now we need to see what we're going to do from this point, from this standpoint. But it seems like the Democrats have no interest at all in doing anything at the, at the border. It's hard to believe, but I'm afraid it's true. It's hard to believe, but I'm, but, I, but I'm afraid it's true. I don't know what else to say. It's it's atrocious what's happening, and it's the absolute abandonment of your duty uh, as a senator or representative not to address it. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible. We're going to have 10 million people, illegals. By the time Biden leaves first term, I hope it's the last term, too. But we'll see. Did anyone watch the debate? Did anybody we get any emails on the debate? Rethia says, uh, Rethia has a comment on the debate. She says, I know what's wrong with these debates. Uh, Dana was saying that they can't let everyone respond to the questions, but they all want to. So why can't they all answer the same question? And they would be um, and they wouldn't be all over each other. And the audience can compare the answers. They don't have to have a ton of questions because uh, there will be one every month, I assume. So she's saying, pose one question, let everybody answer it. All right. But it's got to be a good question. You know, I'm really glad at the end of that debate. Did you watch it? I watched parts of it. All right. At the very end, she said, "Okay, who are you going to vote off the island? You know, of the six of you there, there were six, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Which one should leave? And DeSantis, I must say, showed leadership mm-hmm. and said, no, we're not going to do that. That's that's just ridiculous. That's just for the kind of gross entertainment of somebody in the audience. You know, they, they want us to gnash our teeth and show our teeth and claws and rip into someone here on stage. We're not going to do that. And I appreciate that. That's right. There isn't anybody on that stage that I wouldn't vote for president over Biden easily. You know, take the guy that f- fewest people know, Doug Burgum, governor of North Dakota. I think he makes perfectly fine president. Uh-huh. Don't know much about him, but what I do know is impressive. And the others are, too. So, um, by the yeah, way, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm uh, fine. Make make it a really good question. Like, you know, what, what are you going to do about the border on day one? Go, yeah, go ahead, Claude. No, I was going to say one big issue that Rethia disagrees with um, a lot of the candidates uh, is with the handling of Ukraine um, and, you know, funding this war and all the attention going on with Ukraine and, and, and Russia. And she doesn't like many of the candidates' position there. And that seems to be her, um, you know, big number one uh, issue. She's opposed to the funding. Yes. All going to Ukraine. Yeah, I, I understand. I'm somewhat sympathetic. Uh, you know, people who do these things say it's one of the most corrupt countries in the world. And uh, are we tracking all that money? I don't know. 60 Minutes, I saw, did a piece on on it. And it was, uh, everything's fine. Everything's good. Everything's audited closely. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I mean, there's always some waste and stuff. And that would be all right. But I don't know. At one point, we say, you know, we've given a ton of money. So um, others can give and Maybe that should be enough. I, 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 you got to get him to the negotiating table. I don't think he's winning. I hear people say he's winning. I don't think he is. Yeah. What do our listeners think? It'd be nice to know. Yeah. Email in at uh, at gmail.com. We haven't even talked about a lot of the crime um, happening. Did you see the story with uh, 
in Philadelphia, 10 stores robbed by just mobs of kids or whoever, uh, still in things, 10 stores there in Philadelphia. Target closing nine stores, uh, three in San Francisco, um, you know, um, and I think all those stores are in uh, uh, Oregon, Portland, um, a few in Washington near Seattle, and then, you know, in the Bay Area in California because of crime. It's not safe for people to work there. It's not safe for people to shop there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, this Philadelphia thing is a disgrace, as as was the other cities uh, being looted like that. Uh, and we just have to change our disposition on this and get new prosecutors, new district attorneys. But I'm I'm sorry to give the bad news. When we have elections, these these big cities often elect these very liberal people mm-hmm. to take the job of prosecutor. So you get what you vote for, you know. At least in the, these cases, and that's really too bad. It's really too bad. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Joining me now is Conrad Black and Victor Davis Hanson. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Let's jump right in. Um, Did you guys see the debate, the Republican debate of the six uh, people running against uh, Donald Trump, I guess, uh, and running for president? And what what did you think and what does it matter? I I thought that it was sort of futile. I I didn't think it was organized right. They were talking over each other too much. And uh, they looked like they were running for vice president, except for Christie, who's just out on a sour grapes, uh, you know, mudslinging operation. I mean, I, I thought some of them spoke adequately, but uh, I mean, you guys know me and I know your views. You think Trump can't win, but I think he will win. I, I certainly look, think he'll win the nomination. I mean, I, I only have doubts that he can win because I don't know what games the Democrats will play. We, we've uh, got to speak. I think the moderators were really bad. I've never seen a poor. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what Miss Calderon was doing. I could. She didn't speak clear English, and she had she had an agenda. All of her questions were, yeah, the same old identity politics questions, and they were designed to kind of be on the left side. Uh, I thought. I really like Dana Perino, but I don't know why she did a candy crawly and interjected to point out that uh, Nikki Haley's husband had been in, in the service, too. That's not her job to yeah, no, add, that's right. add or detract from the uh, debaters. And then she that thing about the survivor and vote him off. Terrible, the island, terrible adolescent. And so I just and then Stuart Varney, I like him a lot, but he couldn't he couldn't get through the introduction. And he, and he seems he, like he, nine years old. Yeah. And even the questions were I mean, they were so ridiculous about would you fire the United Honor Workers the way Reagan did? Reagan did not get in, in involved in a private labor private, dispute and right. fire anybody. He did it on the principle that federal employees had taken an oath not to strike. It was just completely different. Yeah. So uh, and then we're not going to see any value until Nikki Haley, if she's in the front runner and Ron DeSantis get into a one-on-one debate. And we want to hear whether the old Reagan idea of the Republican Party or the Romney idea or the John McCain idea or the George H.W. Bush is still viable or is it MAGA? And I think Ron DeSantis pretty much maybe to the right of Donald Trump has followed the MAGA agenda. Nikki Haley represents a very different Republican Party. If they had a one-on-one debate, 
and they seem to be the two leading contenders, then that would be a good debate. The other thing is, I no one is more outraged at the way they're te- treating Donald Trump. But my problem is that each time they do something outrageous, like the Mar-a-Lago raid, everybody said that couldn't happen or it wouldn't lead to an indictment. And then when they indict him, they say, well, that's the end of it. Letita James is just the most ridiculous indictment in the world. It will never get anywhere. Well, it did. $250 million somewhere. And then when they say that Alvin Bragg has no credential, it just, it does. And so Jack Smith is patently biased and he's moving ahead. What I'm pointing out is that this was all designed to have left-wing prosecutors, left-wing judges, left-wing juries in these major cities and to provoke Donald Trump to lash out, which will only get the judges more a- angrier and to break him psychologically, materially, politically, and financially. And everybody said this is impossible because it's so outrageous, but it proceeds. And when you talk to the Trump people, they don't seem to have a a strategic plan to stop it. And so if it continues as I think it does, he's going to have gag orders, he's going to be confined to Mar-a-Lago, or he's going to be in jail. And I don't know what the reaction that, that will be, but the Republican Party sees this train wreck coming that they know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get empathy for Trump and then tie him up and make him an inert nominee, but they don't know how to stop it. And uh, Trump, may I just offer a, a yeah. thing? Go ahead, John, go ahead. We all saw these indictments coming. I mean, the Democrats basically announced they were going to indict him in these four places. So I don't think that was a surprise. What was and has been a surprise is the extent to which he has profited from it politically, because uh, my view, and I, I, it's made out of no disrespect for yours, Victor, but my view is that um, the, the Trump that people hate isn't there anymore, and they don't realize it. The Trump they hated was the blustering billionaire bully uh, who, who was just a braggart, and they couldn't stand him. And and the, he give he did give a lot of ammunition to people of good taste, but uh, he's not there now. And his tweets are some of them are a bit much like the Millie one, although it was taken out of context. But in general, he doesn't issue these ridiculous tweets that are absurd and have to be walked back. And the and the majority of people realize that these prosecutions are, are a fraud legally. They're just using... That's not just- my point. That wasn't my point, though. No, no, that I know. I'm making a different point. I think that he's actually not just having little blips of, of, of short-term sympathy for what's going on, but the country is warming to him in this new role as an underdog. And no, I but I'm not, that's not my right. point either. Right. I agree yeah. with you. I agree with you 100%. My point right. is mechan- yeah. mechanical. And that is, they and they did say that Fat Alita Tia James was so outrageous it would never go to trial. I've heard that from everybody. Oh, they said no, that they said we, there would be no trial. Everybody said there would be no trial in 2023. That would that just was, be outrageous. Was, yeah. So what I'm getting at is each time we think that they wouldn't dare do that, or there's they, there's they constitutional do they, they do, do it. it, and it keeps going and going. And all I'm saying, Conrad, is does the Trump team or the Republican Party have a strategy to keep him out of jail? or to keep him without a gag order or to do something because they are serious and they have, when you get a left-wing prosecutor, left-wing judge, left-wing jury, they can do whatever they want. And I don't know how, but nobody has seems to take it seriously. Victor, are you saying if he goes to jail or gets a gag order, uh, obviously not a good thing, but are you saying that his support will then wither? No, I think he'll be, 
an okay. inert candidate. I don't know how he's going to campaign when but he's his, got, but, when when he's looking at every single week he's going to be sure. in Georgia or New York or Washington or Miami. But his support, and they're, they're, but his, yeah, but his support I think, won't dwindle. I think among independents, it, it's I think Conrad's lot right. There's support there, but among independents and some rhinos that yeah, would have otherwise yeah, voted yeah. for him, they're they're going to put their hands over their head and say, "Make it all go away. I can't take this anymore." All right. Well, so to play it out. The scenario then is he gets the nomination, but doesn't win because of all these factors. Well, I'm just saying they need they need they need to keep on with these debates and they need to get it down to two people. And I don't care who they are, but maybe DeSantis and Haley, and they can have a legitimate debate about the fundamental differences between MAGA and what preceded it. And they can have a candidate go through the entire primary cycle as a second candidate. And at some point, if Donald Trump is not able to, if he's not, if he's not, a free man, then they would have a backup candidate rather than just, oh, my God, they won't dare do this. Oh, they did it. Oh, they won't dare do this. Oh, they did it. Oh, we spent $55 million. We can't, they wouldn't make us spend $200 million. They will. And when you talk to some of the Trump people, I'm afraid sometimes they they just think it's so ridiculous and asymmetrical that it wouldn't affect the election or it would give him sympathy only. And that that's true. But it's that they these people are determined to destroy Donald Trump and put him in jail, and they have the mechanism to do it unless somebody starts thinking about how to stop it. See, I I, I have just two comments that I, I don't disagree with you, Victor. I just don't think it'll work uh, in the first place. As you know, he could be elected and inaugurated, even if he is convicted and even if he is incarcerated. And secondly, um, I. I, I I think that um, um, there, there, he does have a strategy of not going so far that 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 they can actually tell him he has he's under house arrest or even literally in custody. I, I mean, I think he would stop short of that, and he does have a right to comment on public issues as long as I mean, they can't write up a gag rule that says he can't open his mouth about anything, even if he's a nominee. And and the other the last point I would make is that. I'm not convinced they can get a unanimous jury. I, they could, I agree, in Washington, D.C., and you'd have to go to appeal. But I'm not sure, in a, particularly in Florida, I, 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 don't, I don't think they're going to get 12 jurors to say he's guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. I think they'll get hung juries in most of these things if they I can think get in a, I think they will in Atlanta and New York. New York State. And, and Washington, all three of them. And I think that he, the, he, the he judges will give a series of bias rules, and I think they'll— I think they their view is to put Donald Trump in jail and to have him not able to campaign and then to give all of this commentary about how he's a crook. And then this has never happened in American history before. And the Republican Party have nominated a jailbird. That's what they're going to do. And I'm just saying I'm willing to fight with everybody else to stop it. But I want to see somebody who's talking honestly about what's going to happen. And they and they just think Trump's ahead by 40 points. The entire uh, primary is over. It's not over. And we don't know what's going to happen is what I'm trying to say. Are you saying you think one of those two, for example, DeSantis or Haley could still win the nomination? I do. I do. I think I I think that if, if we were talking right now in July, it's very feasible that Donald Trump is either in jail or he's under house arrest with a gag order. And there are people in the Republican Party saying, 
look at the polls, they've shifted and he's now unable to be to do anything as our candidate. And we can't nominate somebody who is incarcerated. I mean, I have no problem doing that. I have no problem. If he's incarcerated, I'll be happy to support him and vote for him. But I know a lot of people who will tell you, you can't have a candidate running for the president of the United States who is in jail. And you say to them, this is a complete fraud. It's asymmetrical. It's not really jail. It's just and they but that that, that message takes Victor, time to explain. get the appeals going. So he's not actually in prison. I mean, they can't just, uh, you know, they, they can't deny him bail if he's convicted and is under appeal. And even if he's under house arrest, uh, I think they can. can. I think they can. I think they can. I think they can say that he's attacked a judge or that he's jury tampering or he's going to be like Sam Bankman Freed. They put him in jail. That that guy is, from all you can see, a rank embezzler and absolute fraud. Well, they they gave him, but they let let him out. He he was out on the Stanford campus. He lived six blocks from where I'm at my apartment. He was wandering around his yard every day, and then he was trying to get on his computer and get a story with his friends if they got interrogated. And they put him in prison. And my point is that they can if they can do that to him, who's a big Democratic icon, I think they'll just say to Donald Trump that he, we we had certain confined uh, confinements of his probation. He violated them and we're going to put him in jail. I mean, I think he would win that. I, I think most Americans would say we just can't have that. I, I, I think guess- they would. I think they would, but I, that's not going to stop these people is what I'm trying to say. No, but well, they won't, I, guess- I don't think it'll stop him being elected either. I, I, well, that's it. I guess I think that with Conrad, that yes, some of the people you're talking to, Victor, uh, that'll be too much for them, and they'll they'll drop out and uh, drop out, and they're supportive Trump. And national polls will show will shift, and it will show Biden at fifty four and Trump at forty five or whatever. Um, but I still think he gets the nomination. And we'll see. see. And I think, you know, if uh, if they don't cheat, uh, I think I think Conrad's right. He can he can win the thing. I think he can win the thing. I I agree with both of you. I think he can win because I think that uh, they they have an existential problem. And that is if Biden falls one more time or is is got a stroke in the next 18 months and Camilla will run as incumbent. Otherwise, there's no way that in the world they're going to let Joe Biden, I think, run for reelection with the idea that Kamala Harris will be president within a year or two. And so they'll have an open primary, I think. And that's going to be very hard to do that, to p- convince Biden that if he does fin- finish his term not to run and then to have an open primary in which they know Kamala Harris will lose. It's going to it's going to be very tricky for them to do all that. But but I wanted to get into that. Don't you guys think that that's what the the powers that be in the Democratic Party will try to do? They'll tell Biden he's a wonderful president. This is their yes. myth, great president. Uh, but you know he really shouldn't seek re-election. But yes. you know, he, he finishes his term so they don't get President Harris, and then yes. you do the system. Well, in that sense, a little like 1968. Without I hope anyone being assassinated. But uh, I mean, the Democrats in 68. But but and in that case, do you guys think that, first of all, do you think that it might happen that Biden won't be the candidate? I think I think I think I think it's 75 percent surety that he won't be the candidate. Then is it Newsom? And would Newsom be would Newsom be a a stronger candidate? Uh, Boy, you know, I, I used to think so. 
But I, I, you know, I was talking to Byron York the other day, and uh, you know, I, he, I think he convinced me. Tell me why I'm wrong. He said, "You cannot, if the Democrat Party, you cannot bypass a black woman. Uh, you just can't do it. They just will not be able to do." They're it. not going to be bypassing her, though, Bill. They're going to say the following. They're going to say, "She's been one of the best vice presidents we've ever had." Joe's stepping down, and we expect her to win overwhelmingly in an open primary. And we we, we support her, and we hope she wins. Oh, my God, she didn't win. Gavin did. That's tragic. I see. see. That's what they're going to do. And uh, I think there's a lot of people on the Democratic Party that don't believe necessarily that Kamala Harris resonates in the black community like Barack Obama or somebody. Yeah. but uh, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, well, I think they have a way of doing it. it. It's just going to be tricky. Hey, Victor, you have the distinction of being in Newsom State. Do you think he'd be a, a strong candidate nationally? Yes. <laughs> I, I wish I could say no. But the thing about Gavin Newsom is two things. For the first 20 minutes, if you watch him debate, he is very impressive. He's glib. He comes into the debates or in conversations with canned lines. He's cocky. But after about 20 minutes, you can see that he's an empty suit. He has no I mean, if he say, just take, for example, Ron DeSantis, I think he would defeat Ron DeSantis in a 20 minute debate. But in an hour debate, I think if DeSantis just kept peppering him with all the facts that he knows, uh, Newsom doesn't know that stuff. The second thing he's doing here in the state, it's incredible. He just signed an order saying that. There's too much bureaucracy and too many left-wing lawsuits, and we have, for the first time in his 20 years as lieutenant governor or mayor and now governor, we've got to streamline infrastructure. And then he said he's going to spend a half a billion dollars on homeless. He was down on the border deploring an open border and fentanyl. And so he is he's trying to remake himself as the sane Californian, and I I don't think he could win. Uh, I think he'd be a serious candidate. But it, uh, what would be his slogan would be, I'll do for America what I did for California. <laughs> That's and not a win. You think he loses to Trump? I think Victor, Trump could Victor. beat him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you accept my caveat? He can win if they don't cheat. If they don't cheat. And well, California, they do cheat. I mean, the DMV, uh, the last yeah, election, I mean, lost 100,000 votes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so they, what, they will cheat. What, what, what do you think he can win if they do cheat? It depends on where the... How, How where, it doesn't really matter where they cheat in New York or California. It's to what degree the Republican yeah. Party is ready in Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin. Wisconsin yeah, yeah, that's what. Ha- that's all that matters. If they can right. stop the yeah. cheat there. Oh, can they? I don't think uh, they I th- can. I don't know. I think in some some of them they can. They're pretty. They're pretty mobilized. But all right. Uh, I hope they are. I hope they're doing. Is the Republican do Party doing the things now that uh, they should be doing? Well, Bill, getting... we saw how they ran a debate, so it doesn't inspire. Uh, no, I know. <laughs> I have to say, I, I thought what, the best moment was the end because the debate was very unsatisfactory. But when um, Dana Perino, who was disappointing in that, said, all right, you're on the island who you voting off. DeSantis stepped in and said, that's not what we're here for. We're not yeah, going to do that. That's, yeah, that's, that's was good. Stu- that's stupid. That's that was good. cheap. That was good for him to do. And I, um, I do wish Trump, Trump, you know, I, I, if any but any other person was subjected to what Trump is being subjected to, they would probably either mentally or physically collapse. So I have a lot of yeah. admiration for him. But 
when he tweets that you should take Comcast off the air or NBC off the air or and he did take that Millie Conte. He just said in the past things Millie what Millie did was treason, and that's arguably true. But when he said that in the past that was punished by execution, I just wish they had a filter, you know, at True Social. Just I don't mean the the company, but somebody in the Trump campaign that just said, "Go the ninety five percent, but don't go the hundred percent." I agree. Yeah. No. All right. Um, uh, foreign policy is this thing heating up opposition to Ukraine, uh, support of Ukraine? It's heating up a bit with the Republicans, but. I have to say, you know, I, I part company with my friends on this one. I mean, I think that people like Brit Hume, whom I don't always agree with, are right. It's 5% of the defense budget, and it's a small price to pay for assuring that the entire West doesn't look like a paper tiger and that the Russians don't get away with, with completely mauling a smaller neighbor, albeit it's a good-sized country. And and so I think it's a good investment. What What we need... It is an exit strategy. I mean, but I think we, I think we're just waiting to see if the, and I saw your piece this morning, Victor, but I think we're just waiting to see if the, uh, if the Ukrainians can take back any territory. If they can, that's fine. But I think where they end when, when the winter starts and the lines are pretty much frozen, that, that's, that's the finish line. You, in the end, that's what the Russians are going to get. But in exchange, uh, you know, all those who are in the Russian zone of Ukraine can move to Ukraine and we transfer military aid into development aid. And there's an absolute guarantee that Ukraine is a legitimate sovereign country and it's guaranteed by NATO and Russia. And, and But the real guarantees this time, not the phony guarantees we all gave them when they and Kazakhstan and Belarus gave up the nuclear weapons. Do you think uh, Zelensky would accept that, what Conrad described? Yeah, I think so. I think what people are talking about is that what they would like uh, to say to the Ukrainians, we're going to arm you to the teeth, but you're not going to be a member of NATO, but you're going to have the wherewithal to stop Putin when he tries it again, if he does. And then uh, Putin, the, the disputed territories that he took after February 24th, 2022, the Donbass and the Crimea, they'll have some kind of adjudication he has to go back to where he was on the and then what he gets out of it is he can tell the russian people we may institutionalize uh crimea and the borderlands and that's why i invaded and then ukraine which didn't have them and, and the reason i say that is it was not the policy of the united states government under barack obama or donald trump or joe biden to ever get back the Crimea and Donbass. I hadn't heard, I went back and looked, not one of them said, we got to get these things back. They all accepted that it was unfortunate, but right. they had been Russian for centuries. And the other thing is, what I'm worried about is that there well, were all these- Zelensky would agree to it? I think he'd have to. Okay. Uh, I, there was That's always what... this role in the Cold War of all these proxy wars, that, and they were usually fought on the border of China and Russia that- both sides armed their proxy, but what they did not do is allow their proxy to attack the homeland of another, of the rival superpower. And we did that in Vietnam. We knew Russians were there, but we didn't say to the South Vietnamese, you can attack. And same thing with Afghanistan, same thing with Korea, although MacArthur talked about it. But my point is this, that when we had a proxy like Cuba, 
the Russian proxy, and they were threatening the American homeland. With so we stopped it. We went to DEFCON two. Yeah. World World War One, when the German government tried to finagle with Mexico to interfere in our homeland, the Zimmerman tailgun, we stopped yeah. it. And nine eleven, when we found out that the terrorists were using the Taliban to attack our homeland, we hit the Taliban. So it's very naive of our. I, I get really kind of frustrated with a lot of my colleagues and a lot of people who say, "Well, strategically, it's essential to hit the Russian homeland." That's true, but if you keep Hit sending drones into the Kremlin or destroying the Black Sea Fleet or hitting depots and supply roads inside Russia with U.S. weapons, which is the, really the only effective way to stop them. At some point, this idea that he's just threatening or don't give in to these, I don't think that's operative. I think the Russians will do something. And, and I don't know what that will be, but it could be a use of a weapon that we wouldn't want or a type of aggression really, against really. a third power. And because we've never done this before, everybody says yeah. it's predictable, but I'd like somebody to tell me in a proxy war between two so-called superpowers, one superpower used the proxy to attack the homeland of the other. It's never happened. Yeah. Who's winning? I think it's a deadlock right now. It's Verdun, 600,000 casualties on both sides, which is also kind of weird with all the, our leftist colleagues that are all on to Moscow. And I, I want Russia to get out and I support Ukrainian defense, but there's just a complete obliviousness to 600,000 dead, wounded, and missing and on both yeah, sides. Two-thirds of those are Russians, aren't they? Yeah, there's about uh, 200,000 Ukrainian. But it's a little bit worse than that, Conrad, because of a country of 41 million people, there's only 28 million left in it. They they vanished. It's very simplistic. So I, I I support the Ukrainians, but when you get these these sanctimonious lectures about borders, it's it's kind of hard to take because yeah. Western Ukraine, one third of the country was Polish, Hungarian, Romanian yeah. until nineteen forty five. Lithuanian, too. yeah, and they stole it. And then when the, we the, say the, Crimea was as a country. Well, I mean, Nat Putin was right. It was never a viable state. And as an independent country, yes. it was a failed state. But yeah. now they have a heroic tradition and yeah. they can probably build something. The same thing with Crimea. When I, I had a colleague that said, well, Crimea has been Ukrainian since 1954. I said, no, it wasn't. It was just Nikita Khrushchev transferred jurisdiction to from one Soviet republic to another. And in 1992, Crimea declared their independence as the independent kingdom of a nation of Crimea and it lasted for about three years. And the people who took it over were the Ukrainians. They came I mean, in and said, that's not viable. So, I mean, the whole thing is so it's like the Balkans. It's so complicated that we're right to help give arms to protect Ukraine. But when we get into the sanctimonious idea that that Ukraine is pure and, and Russia yeah, is evil sure. and we want to kill as many Russians as we can, we got to go into Russia and get back Ukraine. I, I just don't see how that's Look, possible. The other thing is so that the, we had two objectives. One was to show the West isn't a paper tiger and make sure that a, an independent country wasn't just swallowed by Russia, uh, thus, to re, re, you know, reneging yes. or changing the chief result of the Cold War uh, yeah. and uh, our victory in the Cold War. And, but the other was to prevent Russia from being pushed permanently into the arms of the Chinese. We don't want to yes. alienate 
Russians forever. We, we, I mean, well, we want the, the site, you know, uh, the culture of Tchaikovsky and Tolstoy and Dostoevsky in the West, not, not, the, not the triumph of the nativists and a, and a permanent Russian Chinese alliance with the Russians as a junior partner, I, I think, you know. I have a question, Conrad, and that is the, well, the argument, usually a second argument. Well, we got to do this because the Chinese are watching. And they will uh, take from this conclusions about what we would do uh, with an attack on Taiwan. I don't know if that's really true. And second, if they were taking lessons, the lessons aren't great. We're getting them stuff, but it's slow and we're not really giving them everything they need. Uh, And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't really want to give them everything they'd like. Um, But is this uh, is is this a good lesson uh, for us to be teaching the Chinese? I'm not so sure. Well, it certainly hasn't been a howling success for Russia, but I imagine the Chinese would think they could do a better job. But on the other hand, sure. Going across the Formosa Strait, we talked about this in previous episodes. Yeah, it's a lot harder than just coming through the Donbass and coming yeah. on the Black Sea coast. But uh, so, yeah, I, I think I think there's some truth to that as long as it ends all right. I mean, uh, the, in the way we talked about it, if it ends with the Republican, you know, sort of Pat Buchanan, paleo-conservative isolationist saying, right, you know, stop the aid. We, we we're going to build better bus shelters in Mobile, Alabama or something. And all of a sudden there's no more military assistance for Ukraine and the Russians take, uh, you know, take whatever they want. Uh, of course, that would be a terrible fiasco. But now's the time. Now's the time you need a, a Kissinger or even a George Schultz or James Baker to go over and broker something, I think. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think the Chinese also know why the Russians went in. They went in because uh, we had nine, eight years of phony Russian reset under Obama, where we gave dismantled uh, defense and we gave in to Putin. We didn't do anything when he went into Crimea. We didn't do anything when he went under Georgia, under George Bush. We didn't do anything in the Donbass. Joe Biden said if it's a minor invasion, he wouldn't react. They looked at Afghanistan and they drew a picture that they could egregiously invade a country and, and based on what they'd seen, that we wouldn't do anything. It was it was a legitimate gamble. And I don't think Biden would have done anything except uh, there was so much outrage about Afghanistan and the stuff he'd said prior that people did that. And I think so the Chinese, I'm not sure they're going to take a lesson. I think their their feeling is we push the West so much. We have and the Russians have at some point. We've got to be careful about doing it and yeah, going, yeah. going that extra mile because Where, they will finally defend themselves. Where is your piece this morning? Oh, I wrote that, it in American, American Greatness. Okay. It's unreal that, clear, uh, Bill. Yeah. It's unreal clear. All right. Very good, Claude. Be sure we put a link up on the site. I agree with almost everything you said, Victor. But will Zelensky? Uh, I think he will. I think okay. Zelensky's popularity is kind of waning. Um, yeah. Yeah. For for I mean, I, I I support Ukraine, but when I look back in 2016, their ambassador was in interfering in our election. Wrote a pro Hillary uh, op ed, and then we had Mister the ubiquitous Mister Venman, who was oh yeah uh, sure. starting the the he, now he's an arms dealer, of course, profiting from the war, and he was a instigator of the impeachment of a U.S. president, and then we had the Biden family with Burisma. And I, I think a lot of people think, you know what, we we support Ukraine. They're, they're the victims. We want to help them. But this is an awfully corrupt country that interferes too much in our domestic politics. And Zelensky, yeah. uh, I think, 
kind of gets a fallout from that. So I don't I think, think it that, does. He lectures us too much on what we have to do for him. I and agree. I think he, and I think he's wearing, he's got a little shelf life and he should, he should kind of back off a little bit. I think that um, when General Milley said at the outset to that congressional committee that they'd take Kiev, the Russians would take Kiev over the weekend and the whole country within a few weeks, that set the stage for everyone to be astounded at yes. the heroism of the Ukrainian resistance. Right, I, right, I, right. I, but but on your question, Bill, I mean, I, I think even the Ukrainians acknowledge that if the West doesn't keep pouring in the weaponry and, in fact, paying for the war, the financial cost, NATO's paying for it, not the Ukrainians. I mean, he's he's got no bargaining position. He's got a. I mean, he's got less bargaining position than President Tew had in 1972, much less. And the other thing is that the left and a lot of the right make fun of this argument when we say we, we can't even we let eight million people go across our border and now we're worried about their border. And they say, well, we can do both. It's only five percent of them. But we never do both. And it's not really a, a money question. It's a it's a values question. For some reason, the establishment of this country looks at that southern border and all of the misery that eight million people it's going to entail. And they don't care. And yet they want the same people that they don't care about to care a lot about Ukraine. And so there's an yeah. argument there. And, and they won't. All they have to do is say, you know what? For us to get the American people behind Ukraine, we're going to close the American border. And they will not do it. And yet they want people to support their their plan. Yeah, yeah. And it does affect. I'm in a community where it has markedly change the community and this whole county area that I live in. Last night, I was walking through my own property and I see somebody, you know, coming right through with a stolen bicycle, electric, brand new electric bike, didn't speak a word of English, does not know where he is, wants to know where the where he can sleep. Uh, and that's that's a common experience. It doesn't affect yeah. Joe Biden, but that's what a lot of communities are dealing with. And nobody cares. Well, why do uh, people answer mostly Democrats when they uh, Democrats ask, why don't you do something? They all answer in terms of, well, we can't do anything until we get comprehensive legislation. But that's just not true. I mean, um, no, they could stop Trump, it. They Trump, want a did a, Trump did a ton by himself. Right. Yeah, I think in their in their private conversations, Bill, they're saying something like the following. Uh, yeah, we're taking a lot of heat. And yeah, it's kind of shameless what we're doing. But long term, we're going to get another eight to 10, 12 pe- million people into this country. And they're going to vote. De- yeah. And they're going to be dependent on us. And this is going to be a, a, the best investment we ever made in key electoral states maybe even Texas. Well, I, I think what Victor said is absolutely right. And B- Bill, you were, um, the three of us, the leader coming up to the election, last presidential election, saying that if um, if the Democrats won, we would get a full-scale assault on the Constitution. They'd try and pack the court, uh, abolish the Electoral College, end the filibuster, open the borders, bring in millions and millions of people who would vote Democratic, dispense with the requirement of citizenship for voting. Uh, the whole country would be a sanctuary city and it was all over. And, and, and I, I think if if uh, if they if they'd got any more of a majority in the Congress, that pretty much would have happened. But but yeah. they, they, they didn't really. And then, of course, they lost the House. So we we we. we hung on by the skin of our teeth, but, or, you yeah. know, hanging on by our fingernails, but that's where we are. 
Yeah, I, we are. That's where we are right now. And, and, and Victor, I, I again, I agree with all, with everything you said. I just make one point. I mean, the polls do show not now finally a big majority of Americans do not approve of, of what's going on at the border. I mean, the Democrats, I, I agree with you that what they say privately is, look, it's rough stuff, but it's a great investment. These people are all going to be, you know, we'll we'll close the border eventually, but they're inside it and they'll all be our people. Uh, but the, the country doesn't like it. So, the, you know, we, no, no, the we, country we have- doesn't like it. It's 78 percent. And that latest, latest poll said they're angry at the border policies, but they persist. And I, I don't think they care. I think they just, well, you know, not- what we're, we're going to do it no matter what. For most people, it's not personal. I, someone was arguing in the media the other day and said uh, abortion is going to trump the border because the people who feel passionately about abortion, it's personal to them. Mm-hmm. They made it personal. The border is not personal to them. Maybe not yet. Uh, they're not living with someone next door or the bicycle you're talking about. Well, it's personal in Manhattan now in Chicago. Sure is. Yeah. yeah San yeah. Francisco, San Diego today. They're dumping. But none of those places, I'm going to quote Victor Davis Hanson, none of those places matter <laughs> in terms really of don't. the election, right? I mean, uh, did, no. did you guys see uh, Newsom with Hannity after the debate? Yeah. Yeah. Sean yeah. loves I thought, Hannity. I thought what Victor said was absolutely right. He was very glib. He had all, all these toss off lines, uh, $6 gas was entirely the oil company's fault, except for 85 cents that he admitted to himself. But he started to run out of steam. But he, 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 I think he's a grease ball that the public won't <laughs> buy. But, you know, I'm not an American. They'll yeah. buy him for 15 minutes <laughs> and then they don't buy him. But he, he, if you notice one thing about him, he never wants to talk for more than 15 minutes. His press conferences are 15 minutes. And if DeSantis can get a, a debate with him for two hours, he'll... Yeah. Premium, but they're I don't supposed know. to be having. They're supposed to be having one, actually. Yeah, I think it'll be Agreed a twenty-minute debate, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's no good. All right, let's wrap it up there, as okay. promised. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank okay. you, Victor. Thank okay. you. Okay. Thank you, guys. Take Thank care. you very much. Bye, bye. Bye. You're listening to the Bill Bennett Show. Claude, I just would like to say something about the passing of my brother Robert Bennett. Yes, sir. Robert S. Bennett. Um, First of all, I'll make a joke. I hope people aren't offended. Uh, he got the most beautiful obituaries. I, I don't know if you can have a beautiful obituary or a good obituary, but mm-hmm. if you can, he did. And I, I've been telling people, I think Uncle Bob, Bob wrote those obituaries. They're so good. <laughs> They're so good. Why did I call him Uncle Bob? Uh, when I was celebrating my 50th birthday. Elaine made a big deal out of it. She somehow finagled a guy who owned a 57 Chevy to have it in front of the house. Nice. She invited all these people, and they came, all these luminaries. And Rush Limbaugh came. Big surprise to a lot of people. And when he got there, it was a big crowd. And he just wanted to meet my brother, Bob Bennett, the lawyer. <laughs> and uh, John Bennett was running around. John was, what, 15? Oh, wait a minute. He was a little older than that. Um, I was 15, 93. Yeah, he was, four, he was 14. And Rush said, I'm looking for for Bob Bennett, Bill's brother. And John said, Uncle Bob, voice, <laughs> Uncle Bob. And ever since then, I, Rush picked it up and kept referring to Uncle Bob. <laughs> and whenever there was a big legal issue he on the air, he would say, time to call Uncle Bob. <laughs> and Bob called me and said, I don't really like this. Your friend Limbaugh, you know, I don't really. I said, sure, you like it. Mm-hmm. Of course it does. It's great publicity. He was a great lawyer. 
Uh, he's probably best known for representing Bill Clinton um, and the early stages of that business. Uh, later on, he apologized on behalf of Clinton to the court in Arkansas. Um, but he defended Democrats. He also defended Cap Weinberg, a very noted Republican. He defended people of all sides. He was the go-to guy. A lot of people think he was the heir to the great Edward Bennett Williams, who was called the man to see in Washington. And Uncle Bob might have been the man to see in Washington. I don't know if he was, but I know he was the big brother to see for me. And um, he was very good to me, protected me growing up. had a very nasty stepfather. And uh, Uncle Bob saw to my well-being first. And uh, I will love him, always love him, and be grateful to him. Uh, he leaves behind his wife, three daughters, six grandchildren. Uh, and um, he is uh, will be remembered in this town. He's kind of a kind of a legend. And uh, he was a very expensive lawyer. And they were interviewing Bill Clinton. They said, well, President Clinton, I mean, Bob Bennett uh, defends you, but Bill Bennett wrote a book about how awful you are and should leave. And he commented on Bill Bennett. He said, I'm not going to criticize Bill Bennett. He gets Bob Bennett's advice for free. <laughs> Bob was one of the most expensive lawyers in Washington when he was on, mm-hmm. when he when he was billing. But he wasn't always billing. And he took care of the humble and the, and the poor, and as well as the rich and famous. And uh, he's a great guy. Great guy. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to what, Claude? Quick, what do you go to? Oh, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You got it right, thebillbennettshow.com. Mm-hmm. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett and like me on Facebook. I still can't get used to that location. <laughs> Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.